to the Zen House Podcast. I am your host, Enrico Moses. Along with me is my co-host, Sean Remock. This podcast was created for leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs to learn, grow, and connect deeper with your mission and purpose in life. We bring to you real-life ideas that you can bring into your daily routine. We interview some amazing leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs to learn from a diverse group of ideas and ways to tap into your zen. Whether this is how you start your day, take your commute, listen while you're at work, or consume at your leisure, we hope it adds more zen to your life and makes this world a better place. Welcome and enjoy. Yes, yes, everyone. Welcome to the Zen House Podcast. I am your host, Enrico Moses. Along with me, I have my co-host. John Remock. Yes, and we have another illustrious guest today, Scott Carruth. Welcome, my brother. Thank you. It's good to be talking to you guys. Yeah, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and you know what you've been working on for the last bunch of years i can't even say a couple of years like you've been on this journey for a while as an entrepreneur oh yeah as an entrepreneur i mean that started when i was uh, 12 yeah um but i'll i'll fast forward a little bit and just talk about philosophy group um that's what i've been doing for the last 11 years i started during the last recession i don't want to talk too much about the economy right now but maybe we get into that because it's on our mind it's on a lot of people's minds it's relevant yeah yeah um and philosophy is an innovation design studio so basically companies come to us uh they have some kind of problem they want to solve whether it's a business problem or a customer problem and um we help them figure out how to use technology to solve it that's amazing and how big is your team uh right now we're about 40 people Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome and so you've been growing this business for you said how long how many years 11 years 11 years and tell us a little bit about what it's like like starting a company 11 years ago to now having a team of, of 40 people um it's been a journey that's for sure uh it's it's changed. I, I'd say the thing that comes to mind first is that my role has evolved a lot over the years. You know, in the beginning, you're trying to figure out how to do everything, how to you know pull all of the pieces together uh, in providing the actual actual service or product yourself. So, um, in the beginning, I was the salesperson and also the person that delivered the service. Unfortunately, a little bit of this podcast got cut off, but we enjoyed it so much that we wanted to make sure that we gave the rest to you in full. So here it is. Identifying, okay, like what's going on? Where am I getting in my own way? Uh, What are some things that I'm blind to? Uh, And having experiences like going to Burning Man (laughs) uh, can really help to expand your point of view on things and and bring some of those uh, personal blockers to the surface. Yeah, and so can coming to an event like Zen Circles. Uh, You know, when you hear other people's stories, um, it's a moment to think about how you might be sharing some part of that experience and and starting to help it uh, take a shape in your own mind so that you can address it. 
Right. It's like the, the users become the experience. The users become the experience. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it's like one of my favorite things about festivals or even just like in music, right? I'm a DJ. So I, I say this a lot when I'm hosting events or when I'm, I'm doing different uh, experiences where I say, you know, thank you so much for coming because if you want to come, it would have been me here alone. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, that's, that's the realness of it. You know, like I feel like we all put uh, artists on pedestals, right? They're on stages and they have the lights and that's cool. But how whack would it be for them to be there alone with no audience, right? Everybody gets dressed up, you know, you know, I don't know what festivals you go to, but they have like the totems, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's a, it's a thing. Like you look out in the audience and that's like, that's a p- part of the, of the art. That's a, such a part of the experience is like the users being there. Yeah. You're talking about participation. And that's one of the principles, of course, at, at Burning Man is radical participation. Um, and yeah, that's a really interesting aspect of, of self-growth. Whether you are, I mean, I, let aside what happens in mass when people get together, uh, but when you're an individual in that environment and um, you're able to kind of uh, let go of the ropes, so to speak, you know, let yourself just be in it and experience something that's new and unique. Um, yeah, that's a that's an important step to growth. Mm. Yeah, I feel like you have a really uh, a poignant perspective when it comes to being a creative and an entrepreneur at the same time. So I'm really curious to like. What uh, what advice would you give to our audience for someone who finds themselves in a situation where they they know they're super creative, but they also have this huge like knack for business, or they want to? They're also an entrepreneur, and I, I feel like you you dance that line really well. So I'm curious to to hear if like perspectives that help you along your path. I think entrepreneurs are by definition creative at least the successful ones, uh, because you're faced with a situation where you necessarily do not have sufficient resources to do what you're trying to do. Um, And it takes a lot of creativity to make it happen regardless. It's, It's almost like a magic trick. Um, and so I, I think you have to be creative to succeed in entrepreneurship. I think you actually have to be creative to succeed in anything. Um, and I think from, from my perspective, uh, one of the things I value highly in addition to the creativity is having a little bit of, of training and experience in uh, the less creative side of, of entrepreneurship. So I studied accounting at UCLA Um, I worked in finance uh, when I first got out of school. I had accounting jobs. And as I said earlier, at the beginning of our business, I was doing that work, you know, like keeping the receipts, entering them into QuickBooks, cutting checks, signing them myself. Um, And that really gives you a a pulse of the business side. Mm -hmm. A lot of people um, don't think about how to create a sustainable business early enough. Um, at least that was important for me and, and my level of risk tolerance and the type of business I was making. 
There are types of businesses where definitely don't think about how you're going to make money yet. Just build an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's not the case for consulting. So, yeah, there's different perspectives on it, different types of situations that you, you know, leverage different skills uh, more than others. Um, but for me, yeah, creativity is important. So is balancing it with educating yourself about um about the fundamentals of business. I love that. I feel like the metaphor that helps me think about that is like the builder that knows the cost of the nails, right? So it's like they say like all these builders, but like the builder that knows the cost of each nail that's laying on the ground is is the contractor that you want to work with because they're going to be they're going to be so attentive to the nuts and bolts of what's happening. And so I think, I think that's just such great advice to people who find themselves as a creative to understand like, what are the nuts and bolts of what you're doing, especially when it comes to your most valuable resource, your time, right? And just how, how much is your time worth and what are you spending your time doing and how do you ration that? Yeah, that that's interesting. I think, um, Sometimes this is a good type of partnership, right? When you have, when, when you're kind of the, the pie in the sky, big picture, you know, thinking about the, the vision, uh, which is kind of my tendency is to daydream. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, to daydream and also be really anxious and, and like worried about like, well, you know, how's this all going to fit together? Um, it's helpful to have, someone else as a partner who can can keep track of the nuts and bolts. Um, and if you don't have that, you need to think about when are you when are you behaving this way in the in the big picture creative sense and when is it time to get down to the nuts and bolts. Um, and that I think that can be more challenging to do, but it's really important to have that balance. That makes a lot of sense. And in also, like, I feel like that may, that reminds me of your partnership, right? Like you have a, an amazing par- a partnership and I wonder what advice you have for people to finding an awesome partner. I know, I mean, y'all have been partners for what, 12 years. Yeah. Um, so like, w- yeah, what advice do you have for people to finding and maintaining a, a great partnership? I mean... So in mine and Emerson's case, we had already known each other from from college. Uh, shout out to UCLA, and we had even worked together uh, in like a particular student group. And so because of this, uh, we had a, a good foundation of friendship, but also knew what our working styles were like. Um, and I think going into it. He, you could never know too much. You know, I think there's always a, a, a leap of faith um, and no partnership is perfect by, by any means. So I think giving, dipping your toes in the water a little bit, getting to know the person, you know, don't just, okay, this person seems to have the skills. Here's 50% of the company. Never do that. But in our case, uh, we had that foundation and had a sense of how we work together. And we had, had some successes before we really formed the partnership. We did some projects together and we, we knew that we could um, complete them. <laughs> and so that, that's the start. Um, 
And then for the leap of faith thing, um, when you take a leap, you got to go with it. You know, there's no turning back. And, and I see people who take that leap and they're falling off the cliff. And instead of trying to build the wings or build the plane that you're in, they're just like turning around and looking back at that cliff while they're falling. And that is, um, that's the best way to ensure that you're going to have a bad partnership is to uh, second guess it. You got to work with the person and communicate and resolve your differences and work on that continuously. It's like any relationship. You have to decide that you want to be in it and then work to make it good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you have advice or ways that work for you to create a space for you guys to really communicate effectively and just be transparent and authentic when it comes to like passion out, you know, issues, concerns, problems, or personal or professional. Yeah. yeah. I find it really important to create the intention in the setting where, you know, there is, you know, the intention of trust and safety where it's like, yeah, you know, what's up. Yeah. I'll, I'll share three iterations of that, uh, that we've had. So in the early days, um, the, we, we were working in the same room together all the time. And the types of conflicts we had were mostly not that substantial. And so, uh, in our first office space, there was a foosball table. And as the now legend goes, the way that we settled our differences were over a game of foosball. <laughs> and, you know, that was a, a good way to just acknowledge that, okay, hey, we're at an impasse. We can't like get past this, this disagreement uh, by just talking about it. So let's basically flip a coin. Um, and just go with him. And I think there's the, in retrospect, there's wisdom in knowing when it's not that big of a problem, you know, and just like whatever your decision-making process is, uh, go with it and move forward. Uh, then as, uh, things got more complex in our business and after Emerson had moved to start our East Coast office in New York, um, it was more difficult. We couldn't just get together over a game of foosball. So um, we started doing more leadership meetings, which was not just me and him, but other members, uh, other partners in the business. And that was the space that we had every single week to discuss issues. So issue management was actually the bulk of that meeting. We would go in uh, start with good news. Hey, everyone, like, how's it going? Anyone have good personal or business news to share? Great. Let's look at the numbers. How did we do last week? We have a scorecard. And then, all right, what problems do we want to solve today? And we would identify the issues, discuss them, and then come up with a path forward and an owner of that. And that was a really good method for continuously improving the company and uh, figuring out you know, how we would relate to one another. Um, in addition to that, we've gone through phases where uh, we felt more misaligned, you know, especially as the team grows and the leadership team grows, uh, it's important for the co-founders to have like a, a special kind of 
alignment. You know, you don't want anyone perceiving you to be misaligned. So in times when, you know, we felt further apart, we'd institute like a one-on-one meeting at least once a week, sometimes every day. That can be hard to maintain. Um, And finally, uh, when things have gotten really challenging, we bring in a a third party, like a facilitator, someone who's like a a coach or um, the, the person that we've had help us with this in the past was actually an arbitrator. (laughs) Uh, He's, he's a coach and um, a a friend of both of us and an arbitrator. He has that like experience. So that was pretty good for like laying it all on the table and having someone kind of facilitate, facilitate a conversation. That's awesome. I feel like lots of space, space, Sean, to, uh, to your point is, is required to let that happen. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you guys have uh, a lot of intention of like, how do we work through problems? That's one of the things I'm, I'm hearing is there's like, there was a process. There was actually like, Hey, this is how we're going to deal with this instead of just like when it happens, who knows, we'll, we'll just deal with it as it comes. And, and I feel like that's a really powerful way to approach it. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this, uh, different personalities, um, lead to different ways of, of dealing with your issues. There are people that love to fight and um, are, are very good at not letting things go very long before they um, uh, uh, get confrontational. And if you have two people that are both like that, then fine, <laughs> you know, like put, setting aside how you fight and how it can be really unhealthy uh, the fact that that's how you get into the conversation about the issue is productive. Uh, then you have people who are avoidant. And I think Emerson and I both fall into that category by default. So for us, uh, it is important to be thoughtful about, okay, I'm, if, if I have an issue, I'm not going to just like bring it up on the spot and start yelling at you. Uh, which means if it doesn't get resolved, it's just going to build inside of me and it's, it's going to be even messier <laughs> when it comes out. Um, so because of that, we have to have a cadence and, and a method to uh, solving the issue. I think the, the biggest challenge is when you have one person that's avoidant and one person that's confrontational. Um, and in that case, you, you kind of have to... Um, default to the method that supports the avoidant person, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise they'll, they'll be caught off guard and um, yeah, it's just not, not fair or productive. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. What, what would you say to people who want, who want to like move through this quarantine through this time um, and, and kind of do it with balance and do it with some, perspective like you said you started your business during the last recession so you know what perspective do you have in in now you're here 10 years later for people who might be starting their business or they were in the process of um yeah launching before this all happened just kind of any advice that you have to people who are in this new terrain yeah i mean there's there's two parts to it one is the the quarantine and the other is you know, where we're going to end up with the economy after this. Uh, I certainly don't have experience operating in a quarantine before. 
So this is this is new to me, um, and I, I don't know that I have uh, any advice beyond uh, what other people are promoting, uh, which you know falls into the realm of create habits, you know, get get to a sense of normalcy, um, go to bed at normal times, make your bed in the morning, so you start with a win. Uh, work out, you know, take time to talk to people, use FaceTime, um, just stay connected and keep your physical health and your, and also your mental health, um, as, as best as you can, like make that a priority. So that's what I'm trying to do. It's easier said than done. Um, but so far so good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then in terms of building a company, um, in a recession, I think I did a little research on this a, a long time ago. Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable stating it as a fact, but I, I'd encourage your listeners to um, to 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 look it up. I, I think a lot of really good companies are built during downturns, mm -hmm. and the logic behind that is that you have to have good fundamentals. Uh, to do so. You have to have a service that people actually need and you have to offer sufficient value that even when there isn't plentiful money, uh, people are willing to uh, invest in or buy your product or service. Um, also, you have to think about how you run your operation, how you deliver that service. You can't do it in a non-sustainable way. You can't rely on constant venture funding to come in um, because money gets tight. Uh, that's not necessarily the case right now uh, where we're at in this economic cycle. Um, but I'm already starting to hear, you know, VCs and, and private equity are, are tightening up. They're telling their startups to um, be cautious about their spending and um, protect their runway because, that money is going to dry up, even even at zero percent interest rates. Um, so yeah, when when there's a lack of money in the system, you have to be even more creative, and you have to have um, you have to be more creative, more efficient, and offer a better product, mm. which is kind of a winning um, <laughs> you know a winning set of things in any economy. Right. It's a winning business model right there. <laughs> exactly. It's not even a strategy. It, like you wouldn't call that a strategy. That's just like being good at the stuff that you know is important in any business. Right. And you're um, basically saying the recession like forces people into that. Cause it's like you just yeah. you don't have the ability to be all slushy about everything. Yeah. There there won't be any of this like like let's just let's just win. You know, let's win on the customer side. And forget being profitable for a decade, which you know some of the services that we've come to rely on as consumers were built in that venture paradigm, mm -hmm. where there's so much money being thrown at them, it doesn't matter at all if you turn a profit. The focus is just on growth at all costs and trying to own as much of the market as possible. Mm -hmm. And if you're lucky, uh, you're able to IPO and get out before 
you know, the shitstorm comes. And this is what we see with, you know, with companies like Uber. Um, then there's WeWork, which didn't quite <laughs> get didn't there. pan out. <laughs> yeah, they 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 weren't able to um, to um, to take it to that last stage. But the mindset and the way they were capitalized uh, was similar. Right. So, which I love that. I think that's great advice. I want to move into the Zen round with you, if you're open to that. And essentially the Zen round is kind of rapid fire questions, um, tapping into a little bit about, you know, what it's like to be at the Zen circles and tapping into the energy that we're putting out there for the Zen house. If you're ready for that, let's do it. All right. Moving my body a little. Yeah. Get ready. So first one, what does Zen mean to you? I, I picture a sailboat in a storm and having that, that keel at the bottom with the, with the counterbalance to just keep you steady. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about Zen is having uh, just like a calm internal monologue and um, emotional affect that uh, just helps you make it through when the external environment is rocky. Mm, I love that. Um, what's, what's one thing that you like about the Zen circles? Uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind is the people that show up you have a, a community of folks that are uh, creative and talented and hardworking, but they've got that X factor of being introspective. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great environment for, um, for reflecting on yourself, being around other people who are like that, but also making friends. Um, there's just so much warmth in that group. Um, and by the end of every circle, you feel really connected to people. Mm, I agree. What do you think the world needs more of right now? Besides uh, PPE, protective equipment for, uh, for medical staffs, um, you know, I, I wanted to say love, but Actually, I think what's going on right now is showing us how much of that there is. Mm. Um, I, I see it just being expressed more. And it's really, uh, it, it, it feels really good to have so many people uh, that you kind of, you know, they were there for you, you know, they cared about you, but now we're emoting it more. And, and we're, we're going the step beyond you usually do and you know say i love you on that phone call to your friends um so i think i think we're we're love rich right now uh we definitely need yeah i i gotta say i think we gotta do everything we can to support the people who are um on the front lines we need to be thinking about the the medical workers and the people who are delivering our groceries and um 
and our packages. Like, yeah, it, it really goes to show you what the essential services are. <laughs> mm. And um, just looking at um, how those people are showing up right now, despite being in historically undercompensated roles uh, is really eye-opening for me. Mm, A lot of people are coming to that realization. I love that. How it's, it's like making us see how we're all on the same playing field. And when we really peel back the onion layers. Yeah. We have been all along. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, What's, what's your favorite food? It, it, it's kind of a toss-up between really good pasta and really good sushi. <laughs> yeah, I could just alternate between Italian and Japanese cuisine every day. And be, you know. Sounds delicious. <laughs> um, what's a thought leader that you think people should be tuned into? Or who, I should say, who's a thought leader that you think people should be tuned into? The... The thing that comes to mind, since this is like a speed round, is uh, yesterday I saw an interview. Um, it was Trevor Noah interviewing Bill Gates. And Bill Gates, with his foundation, has been focused on disease control for a long time and uh, warning about what an epidemic can do. And he's been devoting a tremendous amount of resources to eliminating malaria and helping people in um, other part, you know, uh, less fortunate, less rich parts of the globe uh, in dealing with disease control. And suddenly the whole world is, is affected by that. And he's just so good at talking about it and so knowledgeable and doesn't say, I told you so. <laughs> so I really appreciated that particular um, interview. And I, I think he's a very smart man who is, is trying to do good things. And it's particularly relevant to the type of problem we're encountering right now. Mm, I love that. Um, what's a book that really changed your life? There are a few that come to mind. I'm thinking about which one I want to talk about the most. You know, I'm going to pick the lean startup. Eric Reese. Eric Reese, yeah. Um, that really changed my, my business because it added a very important perspective to what we do as designers. It's not just about the, uh, the interface and, and what it looks like and how people are able to complete tasks using the thing you're making. Uh, it's also about, does anyone care? Is this valuable? You know, uh, and that actually in this day and age is the hardest challenge um, when you're starting a company is, is creating a compelling product or service. And that book, along with um, its predecessor, uh, so Steve Blank is kind of like the grand, grandfather of the, the Lean Startup. 
Uh, and he's written a couple of books and has a great blog on a process called customer development. And so it's all about talking to people, understanding what their problem is, making something really fast and basically taking it back to them like, okay, do you want to sign up for this? Will you give me a check for this right now? No? Okay. Not good enough. Go back, try again. How about now? How about now? Um, and it's just the, that process of iterating as quickly as possible to make something that's actually good, not just good from the perspective of this looks really fancy or this technically is impressive, um, but is good for someone else who might buy it from you. They find real value in it. Real value. Yeah. Not, um, yeah, real value to someone else. So that's really important, um, really helped my business, uh, changed what we sell to our customers and also affected how I uh, interact with people day to day in, mm. in my life and improve my life. Yeah. I, lo- I love that book. And Steve Blank wrote the book. It's like the startup manual or something like that. Is that, is that another? Manual is one and four steps to the epiphany. Nice four steps to epiphany. So make sure y'all go out and check out those books. Um, How do you find your Zen? Hmm. I want to say I don't go looking for it. It finds you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I I think um, there's in the conscious community and like the self-help community, I see a lot of people who are tremendously anxious about getting better and finding Zen and calming themselves. And uh, for me, at least that's never been how it worked. I think that's partially my, my personality. Um, But I don't know, maybe by communicating that, sharing that, um, taking that approach could be helpful to, to others. I, I do know sometimes when I'm working on any kind of problem, uh, the harder I work on it, the more, the further I seem to move away from the solution. Mm. And then I, I take a couple of weeks off and um, either the solution comes to me in an epiphany or I realize, oh, it wasn't even a problem in the first place or time has solved the problem. Mm-hmm. So nice. that's... Um, yeah, that's how I find my Zen is not looking for it. Mm-hmm. Nice. What's one thing you're not doing that you should be doing? I think I don't want to be too hard on myself because I, I think I'm doing okay. All right. <laughs> uh, Right now in quarantine, I'd like to be uh, more committed to my exercise and to like cleaning the house. Nice. I've been pretty good about showering. I know some people are struggling with that. (laughs) So I got to give myself some credit for, uh, you know, bathing. But um, yeah, the the exercise, it's something that is really valuable to me. Um, I've been investing a lot in my my physical health. 
Uh, and when this thing hit, that became so much harder. Mm. And I have my good weeks and my and my tough weeks. Um, and so that that's the thing that I think I should be doing more of. Nice. What's something you're doing that you should stop doing? Um, I'm going to go with drinking right now. Um, I, I don't have like a, a, a problem. I'm very fortunate to, to not have an addictive kind of personality. Um, so I, I'm not like binging on anything except the occasional Netflix, the occasional <laughs> thing, you know. Um, but what I've noticed is when I drink at home, even when like I, I mostly only do it with friends on like a Zoom call or something like this, one of these virtual happy hours. But I realize afterwards I lack all motivation. Uh, I think when I'm out with friends and drinking, like that's not how it happens. Um, but here, like after I get off that call, that little bit of like of, of buzz uh, means I'm not going to go back to work. I'm not going to um, go do something creative. Some nights I don't even want to cook afterwards. So um, yeah, that's the thing I'm going to cut down. Drinking just makes you say fuck it. <laughs> it kind of does. I mean, right now it does. That's not necessarily how it's always been, but I just noticed in this time of quarantine when I'm alone mostly. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's it hasn't been healthy for me. It's definitely the thing that's throwing me off. What's a blessing that you want to give to somebody out there in the world right now? Oh, blessings to everyone who's in the hospitals right now, um, whether you're a nurse, admin, doctors, uh, even if you're not treating patients uh, who are coming in with COVID-19 symptoms, uh, I know you're putting yourself at risk to help people now more than ever. Mm -hmm. And so uh, to, to those people, like, whatever um, goodwill, blessing, power from God, the universe, like whatever it takes, uh, I want to send it their way. Mm, nice. And what's a blessing for yourself? Um, I wish to just stay strong and grateful for, for what I've got. I'm very fortunate to be, um, have a roof over my head right now, to be able to afford food, to have use of my limbs to cook it, and to get around and exercise even <laughs> when I'm being uh, uh, And uh, to still have a job is a really real one, you know, affecting mm -hmm. a lot of people. Um, I'm fortunate to work in a digital space where I can, I can continue operating. Um, yeah. So that's, I, I do feel very blessed right now. Nice. And then what's your final piece of advice you want to leave to our audience? Don't listen to too much advice unless it has to do with, not going outside, 
wearing masks and gloves when that's appropriate uh, and just staying safe uh, and and keeping away from from people as much as possible. Nice. His advice is don't take advice. I love it. <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for taking the time with us today and sharing your knowledge with our audience. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Scott. Well, it's great talking to you guys. Be safe out there. Love you both. Thank you.